studio, we're talking with Dr. James Simons. James is an Australian-trained urologist and urological surgeon with a special interest in robotic surgery, prostate cancer diagnosis, and treatment. James is based in Sydney, and he consults at Darlinghurst, Deniston, Wagga and Griffiths, and operates from St. Vincent's Private, Sydney Adventist, Marta, and Double Bay Hospitals in Sydney. Our topic for discussion today is PSA results, how to interpret them and their value in current medical practice. As always, all information in this podcast is intended for health professionals only, and the comments are of a general nature. The podcast is not intended as specific medical advice pertaining to a given patient. If you have a clinical issue with one of your patients, please seek appropriate advice from a colleague with expertise in the area. James, thanks for talking with us today on PodMD. Pleasure to be here, Sean. Many thanks for the opportunity to uh, help uh, clarify things. You're most welcome, James. Today, we're talking about PSA results, and it seems that many GPs and patients are finding it difficult to interpret the PSA and its value in current medical practice. Could you shed some light on this for our listeners? Yes, certainly. Uh, Look, in my experience, I've found that the uh, PSA blood test is something that causes uh, a lot of anxiety amongst uh, patients, but also some degree of confusion amongst uh, my GP colleagues as to when it is appropriate or most appropriate uh, to both test it and also how to then interpret the results. Um, I know that there are some conflicting guidelines out there between what we have as urologists, uh, both in Australia with our professional society, which is the Urological Society of Australia and New Zealand, better known as USANS. Also with the American guidelines that a lot of us follow, which is the American Urological Association. And then locally with the uh, Royal College of uh, General Practitioners guidelines, which tend not to favour a PSA testing. Um, the PSA is a very normal part of the male physiology. So every man who has a prostate has it. The PSA is a prostate serum antigen, and it's an enzyme that resides within the prostate. So every man's prostate, healthy or otherwise, makes it. And this PSA enzyme, its role is to help liquefy the mucus in the female cervix when a man has an ejaculation. So it comes out as a normal part of the semen, travels up, and it's an enzyme that just really helps with the normal act of uh, intercourse and then making a baby. So it's a very normal thing. However, it does leak out this little enzyme into the blood. And we've found that in men who have prostate cancer, it leaks out at a higher rate. And so on a blood test, you can see that the PSA is elevated, and that's a bit of a red flag. The prostate cancer itself can be quite hard to detect, especially in the early stages. The PSA, however, isn't elevation, I should say, isn't something that is specific just to prostate cancer. And this is where it's a bit of a problem, because there are a whole number of other benign causes for why the PSA can be elevated. So what are some of the reasons for the benign elevation of PSA? Uh, Look, a a number of things that can happen just in day-to-day life. Um, So uh, bicycle riding, horse riding, any sort of uh, perineal pressure can, uh, with repeated stimulation, push it up. And for that matter, a digital rectal examination or prostate check that uh, your your GP or your your, uh, urologist might do. Um, But also uh, sexual activity, masturbation or intercourse, the ejaculation can push it up. Um, but also other urological problems. So the benign enlargement of the prostate, which we'll come to in a moment, and also things like urinary retention or bladder stones. Um, 
you also need to be aware of infection, and that can just be a standard uh, urinary tract infection or cystitis, or even uh, the more complex male urinary tract infections with uh, bacterial prostatitis or epididymoalkitis. Um, and certainly those are not the times when you should be checking somebody's PSA because then you get an artificially elevated PSA and that causes quite a bit of concern for both the patient and the GP, but also the urologist. And how do, you, how do we best, best going to interpret this uh, very high PSA, which you know was done in infection, but you don't quite know what the patient's baseline level is? Which group in the patient population would you advise having a PSA? Um, look, that's a good question. It really depends upon the uh, patient's risk and what your perceived uh, risk profile is of them having prostate cancer. Um, we obviously don't need to go and detect any of the benign causes with a PSA, but uh, what we're really looking for, if you're using it as a de facto screening tool, is to try and work out when patients are likely to have low-grade or organ-confined prostate cancer. And these are, I should say, low-risk, sorry, or organ-confined prostate cancer. And in general, the current position statement from USANS is that uh, men should have a single PSA done at age 40 to help risk stratify them for future risk of having clinically significant prostate cancer. And what this suggests essentially means is that at the age of 40, if you have a PSA and your PSA is less than 0.8 nanograms per mil, you fall into a favorable risk group. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get prostate cancer, but it makes it highly unlikely that you'll ever develop a prostate cancer in your lifetime that you will die from. Alternatively, if your PSA is greater than 0.8 nanograms per mil at age 40, that doesn't mean that you're going to get prostate cancer or die of prostate cancer, but it's a bit of a red flag for your urologist to continue to monitor you at a slightly closer uh, frequency because you do fall into an unfavorable risk group. Much like if you had high blood pressure, it puts you at high risk of having a stroke. Doesn't mean you're going to have one, but you might need a little bit of tighter surveillance and closer blood pressure monitoring. James, does family history come into play? Yeah, look, absolutely. We know that uh, certain ethnic populations uh, will have uh, higher risk of prostate cancer, particularly black, black African males will have a much, much higher risk of prostate cancer um, along with uh, earlier age of onset, um, whereas uh, uh, patients from uh, Asia tend to have a much lower risk of prostate cancer for, for unknown reasons largely. There is clearly a hereditary component to it. Patients who have a family member with prostate cancer, if it's a, a first-degree family member, they have a two- or three-fold increased risk of developing prostate cancer. And if they have multiple family members with prostate cancer, their risk really jumps up to around tenfold over the general population. So that, that is a huge increase in risk. Similarly, it's not just prostate cancer patients uh, or, or fathers who've had prostate cancer that will increase their risk, but if they have had sisters with a breast or ovarian cancer, they might find that they're in part of this uh, BRCA uh, gene uh, cluster. And whilst the women have earlier onset uh, in those patient families of uh, breast and ovarian cancer, the men have much higher risk of developing early onset and aggressive uh, prostate cancer. Is there a normal PSA result? And if so, how do you interpret the readings? Um, look, that's, that's one of the problems that we've got with uh, 
the guidelines, we certainly know what uh, age standardized uh, medians are. And PSA does naturally increase with age. But there is no one uh, normal PSA. And so there's a lot of false reassurance. Uh, and I've certainly seen patients where the GPs have been dutifully tracking their PSAs for many years. And it's always been within the uh, normal, nominally normal for their age. But the problem is it's been ever so slowly creeping up and faster than it should be. And then you go on to discover that they've actually got a, a relatively aggressive prostate cancer despite their low PSA. I've published uh, previously on this and presented at the national meeting um, about the high risk of a clinically significant prostate cancer despite men having a PSA less than four, which had previously considered to be the, the, the upper limit or, or essentially a, a normal threshold. So you can have low PSAs but high tumours uh, burden also clinically significant cancer. So to my mind, a uh, single one-off PSA, if, assuming that you're above that 0.8 level, really just helps to give you a baseline risk for that patient and then you continue to monitor them, much like you wouldn't for a patient do a single uh, blood sugar test and then say, okay, you're not diabetic, we never need to screen you for diabetes again. You continue to monitor over time. And so if you keep doing PSA tests, not every day, not every month, but you do it at routine intervals over a man's life or middle age and even into later life, you can get an idea about what's going on with the trend. And so the PSA doubling time or the PSA velocity become really useful tools. And so between myself seeing patients uh, or the GP, if they're comfortable doing it, we can really plot a man's PSA over yearly levels and we can start to see when there starts to be an escape and escape is when you have the lines start to deviate from the baseline that they'd been on and so when I see that that really to me is a red flag and the man and I can have a discussion about uh, how he wants to investigate things and so I, I find a, a, a multiple PSA tests far more useful than a single one-off PSA you know trying to work out what that man's uh risk of prostate cancer is. And so for that reason, to my mind, I'd far prefer to see lots of tests rather than relying upon a, a nominal number um, and dictating what the, that man's prostate cancer risk is. And I think it's a bit of a dangerous trap to fall into if you look at a single PSA and try and make clinical decisions off of that. So thanks very much for that valuable advice. To sum up for our listeners, what are the major take-home messages today? Um, look, I would uh, think there's probably three things at least that we can get out of this. One is that there is no normal PSA. I mean, that, that I think really needs to be said. The PSA is a, is a range and it's more, inter more important to interpret uh, the uh, utility of the test across serial measurement than looking at a one-off level. Uh, otherwise, it, it's, a, it's a real trap uh, to try and interpret uh, off of a single level. The next thing is that you need to know when to do your PSA test and certainly doing it in the setting of acute infection becomes a real problem because you'll get an artificially elevated PSA and that leads to two things. One is you can either dismiss it being elevated and say it was just down to infection and then not repeat it or you can have a high PSA which can induce a lot of stress for both the patient and the general practitioner and then that makes uh, interpretation 
a little bit more difficult uh, from the urologist's perspective and potentially have patients having biopsies done with the risks attached to that that are unnecessary. And then uh, lastly, uh, so I would think uh, that it's fairly uh, important that men know that uh, the PSA is not the uh, ideal screening test for prostate cancer, but in the absence of anything else, it's the best that we've got at the moment. And uh, so there is clearly still utility in common medical practice or in, in contemporary medical practice for having a routine PSA blood testing done. There are additional things that we can do to get extra information out of the PSA, like free to total ratios um, or even uh, generating uh, phi scores, which we don't really need to go into at the moment. But those things really stem from doing the PSA test themselves as a baseline. So I think uh, going forwards, it's important for men to continue to have PSA tests as start part of the middle-aged, well-manned sort of check that you'd otherwise be doing for them, like checking their blood pressure, checking what their sugars are like, checking what their uh, uh, cholesterol is like. Because at the end of the day, prostate cancer still remains uh, a very common prostate, very common uh, cancer, and the uh, single biggest uh, non-cutaneous uh, malignancy that will kill men. Thank you for talking with us today on PodMD, James. It's been a very valuable discussion. It's, it's a pleasure, Sean. Thank you for your time.